Great. So I'm just gonna I'm just gonna launch straight in. I wanted to share some thoughts on a I want to say a subject, but it isn't really on, on something that all of us are invited into as followers of Jesus. And I think we never really get to the end of the mystery of it. Uh, we're always beginners, and probably we always feel like we're beginners in it. But it's it's prayer. Prayer is what I want to talk about. And it's something that I feel like uh, I, like I'm constantly having to remind myself of just some of the basics when it comes to prayer and uh, what we are invited into when we pray. And I think for me, one of the big, one of the big things that I learned about prayer at some point, um, having been a Christian for a few years, was uh, initially I had thought that it was about transactions. So that basically I would come to God with my list and I would, I would kind of like say, these are the things I would like, please. And then sometimes I'll get them, sometimes I wouldn't. A bit like you write a little list for Santa Claus, uh, depending on if you've been naughty or nice. And that, that, that was kind of how I approached it. And a big kind of shift for me came when I began to understand much more that actually prayer at its heart is, is, is about relationship. It's about being with him. My favorite definition of prayer that I've ever come across is that prayer is keeping company with God. It's about keeping company with him. And obviously there's part of that. That involves asking God for certain things. And there's a place for intercession, asking God to uh, meet our world. Obviously there's a place for thanksgiving as part of that. And the Lord's Prayer is a really helpful uh, basis for the kind of ingredients that we'd expect to find in our interaction and our conversation with God. But at its, at its most basic, and I would say at its most profound, prayer is about keeping company with God. It's about being with him. Um, and uh, you'll know, as Mike was saying, the festivals have all just been happening. Uh, who, out of interest, was at Naturally Supernatural? It was about 200. I think some of you will be taking the Sunday off. But it was, um, it, the weather wasn't as bad as it was for New Wine, but it was pretty bad. Um, and I remember going down to uh, visit the, the church camp. And I know not everyone was there, but I imagine you've all been camping in bad weather at some point. And it was like entering a war zone. Um, uh, the, the marquee that we had up, I felt like there was this kind of blitz mentality when I walked in. People were kind of like grouping together and we managed to survive it and we were getting through it and there was a lot of bacon, so we were okay. Um, uh, but one of the things that I thought is, oh my word, we're really getting to know each other through this, through this. because Mainly because we're spending so much time together. I say we, I was staying off site. Uh, and those who were camping made many, many passive-aggressive comments to remind me of the fact that I wasn't there with them in the storms. But um, when you, when you, it is a, a basic thing of when you spend time simply being with one another, something happens. And because I used to think that prayer was this super intense thing about banging on the door of heaven and interceding, and again, I'm not saying it's not that, um, but that's kind of exclusively what I used to think it was. I, I, I thought that it always had to be intense. And when I came to realize that actually what we're invited into is to spend time with him, spend time in relationship with him, then that shifted how I understood it. Because when we spend time in relationship with each other, it's not always super intense. You can just simply sit and be with someone. You know, when you're close with them, you can drive somewhere for an hour. You don't even need to say very much and it's not uncomfortable. It's just being with them. And then when we talk to them, we can talk to them about just basic stuff, the weather, the football results, just what you're going to do that week. And again, it's, it's, it's very normal. It's very ordinary. And then, of course, there are times where we have heart-to-hearts and we really share kind of on a maybe a deeper level about what's going on in our lives. But, but prayer, when we understand it as relationship, means that it can be on all of those levels. It can be simply being with him. 
It can be just talking to him about the week ahead or about the day ahead. Or it can be that more intense, I'm going to share everything that's going on in my life with you and I want to pour it out before you. Um, So prayer at its most basic is keeping company with him. And as part of this kind of refresher, for me, there have been a few simple truths that I've just been speaking to myself again because I need to hear them again. And so I thought I'd share them this morning. Um, The first one is that God hears our prayers. And in every relationship, you want to know that you're being listened to. We want to know that the people that we're talking to are paying attention to us, uh, that they get us, that they want to spend time with us in the same way that we we want to spend time with them. And one of the things that's wonderful about Jesus and and getting little glimpses into his prayer life is that he, he had this utter assurance, this total peace and confidence that God, his Father, heard his prayers. And so one of the examples of that would be when Jesus goes to resurrect Lazarus from the dead, there's this wonderful little moment where they've rolled the stone away and they're just kind of looking at this grave um, before Lazarus comes out. And Jesus says before his prayer, to sort of his command to Lazarus to come forth, before he does that, he just says to the Father, I know that you always hear me. And I imagine what a difference that would have made to him at various points in his life and his ministry, just to be able to say, you know what, when you're feeding 5,000 people, and he really went for it because he got them all sitting in groups before he fed them anything. And, uh, and then he just took that little bit of bread and that little bit of fish, and just to know in that moment, just have the, can you imagine just having this real peace that this is, this is absolutely going to work? I know that you always hear me. And then I'm going to pray this prayer. When he's calming the storm, so that moment, that, that story when he's in the boat and he's fast asleep and the storm on Galilee is going mad and the disciples probably screaming at each other and they can't even hear themselves over the wind and over the noise of the waves crashing over the side of the boat. And for Jesus to be woken up and then just to know, it's okay, I, you know what, I can't even hear what Peter's shouting at me through the wind, but I know my father hears my voice. Though it might be caught up in a gust and snatched away, I know it won't escape his ears. I know that you always hear me. When he was in Gethsemane, wrestling with what was about to happen to him on the cross, even though that's kind of like you get this insight into his agony and his desperation and his asking his father to take the cup away from him and all of that, even in that darkest of hours, he knew that his father heard him. So what a difference it would make to us. If I was able to say and mean every time I came to my father in prayer, I know that you hear me. I know you always hear me. And what we are invited into is that kind of confidence when it comes to our relationship with him, when it comes to prayer. And there are loads of pictures in the Bible that we could turn to that would kind of paint... I think a picture for us of the fact that God hears us when we pray. But one of my favorite ones is the book of Revelation. And if you've never read the book of Revelation, uh, Jesus' disciple John, towards the end of his life, has this vision of heaven. And it's basically like he's given a tour of heaven. Um, And in it, he gets invited into the throne room of heaven. And one of the things that you see in the throne room of heaven is, is all this light and this color. So there's, there's this throne right in the middle with Jesus sitting on it. And then you've got kind of like this basically rainbows and emeralds and sapphires and all these beautiful colors going on everywhere. But probably the thing that would hit me most, having read the, the, the picture in Revelation, is I imagine the noise. 
I don't know why, but I always picture heaven to be a quiet place, probably because I think of it like a cathedral or something, and they're almost always silent unless there's a service going on. But when, when you get a glimpse into the picture, the throne room of heaven, it is a noisy throne room. So one of the things that we're told is that going around the throne, there are these four living creatures, and they're always going, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Then you've also got these 24 elders, these guys with crowns on, and they sat on these thrones. And what would happen is whenever the living creatures took a pause, the elders would take their crowns, throw them on the ground. Then they would throw themselves on the ground, and they would start saying, worthy are you, Lord our God, and they would go on and on and on. And then we're told that there are 10,000 times 10,000 angels in heaven. I did it on a calculator. That makes it 100 million angels. There's 100 million of them. Just think of the noise from the wings alone. Imagine a flock of birds making, you know, that makes a racket. Think of 200 million wings by themselves. And then the angels are singing praises to God. And then on top of the picture of the angels, well, there's the four living creatures and the, the 24 old guys and the 100 million angels. We're told that every creature in heaven and on earth and beneath the earth are also singing praises to God and they're also going worthy, worthy, worthy of you are you. And then behind that you've got all these special effects. So you've got you've got thunder kind of crashing and you've got trumpets and people blowing trumpets. So I imagine if we actually got a little glimpse, if the kind of like the curtain went up and there we could see heaven, it would be the, the wall of noise that would probably strike us almost more than anything else. It's a noisy place. It's full of worship and praise to God. So John gets shown around and he hears and experiences this. And then Revelation chapter 8 verse 1 says this. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels stand before God and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense together with the prayers of God's people went up before God from the angel's hand. So you've got all of this noise, all of this praise and then suddenly, as if from nowhere, silence for about half an hour. I love that it gives us that detail. It's just for about half an hour. There is total silence in heaven. And the picture that we're given here is that in the midst of the silence, the prayers of the saints, that's our prayers, float up before God. And so it's as if what God is saying in that moment is, hey, four living creatures, shh. 24 old guys, sit down, put your crowns on. Angels, stop flapping around, you know. Everybody else, just be quiet. Shh, listen. My people are talking to me. They're saying something to me. Silence for half an hour. Um, when Beth and I, before we had kids, we, we lived in this terrace house um, in North Watford. And I remember um, the people either side of us on the terrace had babies and so I would regularly wake up about three or four in the morning to the sound of somebody else's baby crying. And I'd love to say it annoyed me. The honest truth is it didn't because what I was able to do in that moment is just say, I do not care. I will just roll over and go back to sleep. And I did. 
And then, um, of course, as you, as you all know, we started having kids of our own, and we had Josiah, and we still lived in this terrace house when we had Josiah, and there's lots of kind of paraphernalia you start buying when you get a kid. One of them is you buy one of those little baby monitors, where you put the little, it's like a little walkie-talkie, and you put it in their bedroom so you can hear them if they make a noise. And um, our evenings, what they looked like, began to change rapidly, because what would happen is, then we had Josiah, and he was kind of like up in his little kind of nursery, and we would carry this walkie-talkie everywhere we went in the house, as if we couldn't hear him anyway because it's a small house but we carry the walkie-talkie around and we'd be sitting there in an evening watching tv and what would happen is you know we'd be watching it and then suddenly one of us would go whoa, whoa did you hear that was that something quick mute the television and we'd just sit there listening to this walkie-talkie we'd have people come around uh, for dinner and we'd just be mid-conversation one of them would be sharing something and i'll just whoa, whoa, whoa can you just stop talking for a second i think i just heard something everybody just sit here quietly we'd listen to it um, sometimes what would happen is Josiah would wake up early, 5 a.m. Or, or something like that, and the two of us would also wake up with him. And we would, honestly, we would just sit there. We don't do this anymore. We were new parents, and it was all new in those days. It was the honeymoon phase. But, but like, we would sit there at 5 a.m., and just Beth and I in our bed, and we'd listen to our little boy just down the corridor, just chatting away to himself. We'd just sit there listening. Sometimes if he was screaming, I would take him and hold him up against the neighbor's walls to get revenge. But, but we, had those, we had those moments of, shh, everybody, shh, our kid, he's, he's saying something. Let's catch it. Let's listen in. And that is what is happening. That is what is happening in heaven. This is the picture that God gives to us. So it's angels, shh, living creatures, hold on. Old guys sit down. My people are talking. Was that my little girl? Was that my son? Did he just say something to me? God hears our prayers. He literally tells us in this picture that he will put heaven on pause when we start speaking, that he might hear us. Second thing God's been reminding me of as I've, as I've uh, kind of gone back through this stuff is that not only does he hear our prayers, he responds to them. And so just to come back to this picture, what happens is there's half an hour of silence. The, the prayers of the saints kind of go up with the incense. And then this is the next thing that happens. Verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it down on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. And... Uh, what I love about that is that the, the angel gets this big metal bucket, which is the sensor, fills it with kind of fire, and then throws it down on the earth. And, and the whole earth, we're told, starts shaking because the fire comes from heaven. And um, the, way that, the way that I see it in the picture is that our little prayers, what they do is they silence heaven and they shake the earth. And because God responds to what we say to him, that the, the, the earth moves, things in our world move, things are changed. Um, and one of the things that encourages me, I don't know if it encourages you, but is, is reflecting back at times when I've seen God answer prayer or hearing stories of God answering prayer. Because so often what we do, and we don't do it intentionally, but I do it for sure, is we just drift through the Christian life and we forget the reality that when we pray, God responds. And when we pray, he moves. And when we pray, he acts in power. That, he has, that he's powerful to save and he's merciful to want to. And that our prayers grab his attention and he responds to them. Um, when Caleb, our youngest, uh, was, was diagnosed with his health condition... 
He had to have a heart operation, things like that. Um, one of the things that we, we did, of course, is we prayed. From the moment that we heard about his diagnosis, we started to pray. And we didn't see him healed in the way that we prayed. But what we also did is we, is we, we broke down the prayers into specific things. And the reason for that is because I remember somebody said to me, general prayers get general answers. Specific prayers get specific answers. And so we decided after a little while we were going to become really, really specific with what we were asking God for. When it became clear that he was going to have to go through an operation, massive heart operation at, at one month old, um, we, we obviously were talking with the surgeon and the doctors and various things about what, what, what would be the best case scenario for that. One of the things they said to us is that... he. You know, um, they had to reconstruct a part of his heart. They had to put a conduit in. And they said the ideal thing would be if there was a human conduit available because they can use uh, ones that they've made, but they don't last as long and they're not generally as, as efficient or as effective. And so we prayed that and we got a group of friends to pray it with us um, for, for, I say, at least five to six weeks. We prayed that there would be a human conduit available. And then I still remember the moment that the surgeon rang us up and said, there's one human conduit in the whole country. And it's become available for Caleb. And now you could say that's a coincidence. But what, but what we found over, over the season of him going through this is that we, we, would, we would ask God for specific things. And so often we would see specific answers. And the thing is, sometimes maybe it is a coincidence. But I love what someone once said about prayer being a coincidence. They said, you know what? When I pray, coincidences happen. When I don't pray, they don't happen. And we, we, we found, okay, we can come to him with whatever thing it is, whether it's small or it's big, and we can say specifically, would you do this for us, Lord? We expect an answer from you. And then we see what happens. Um, another of my favorite stories about prayer that's always encouraged me to pray for other people to become Christians is a lady called Ellie Mumford's story. She, she now oversees the global vineyard movement, um, and uh, she's been in our church before. She's uh, preached here, and she's one of the best preachers I've ever heard. She's amazing, and she's so full of the Holy Spirit. But I remember her telling the story of how she became a Christian. She, she arrived at her university, not a Christian, and she ended up living in uh, sharing a room with this girl for three years. And uh, Ellie just went off and just kind of lived a life, um, not really interested. And then um, at some point in her third year, God just got hold of her. And she gave her life to the Lord. And her friend, who she was living with, said to her, after this had happened, she said, do you know, I have prayed for you every single day since the first day that we met, that you would give your life to Jesus. And Ellie, when she was sharing that story, she said, I owe so much to that woman's prayers. Um, you know, she's gone on to do amazing things for God, but she said, I owe so much to that woman's prayers. And then she said this, she said, if you never do anything else in your life, pray that one person might give their life to Jesus. Um, Mike texted me just this morning, he didn't know what I was speaking on, but um, just about an answer to prayer. He just found out about last night, do you want to come and share? Yeah, just a, a very brief backtrack. Um, it's a, one of those bizarre things, but as a, a single person who isn't ever going to have children, um, uh, God gave me, has given me a real heart for couples who can't have children, and I love praying for them. And over the last three years, 
uh, there's been three occasions where uh, God gave me a word for that there was a couple that couldn't have children and there were circumstances. And uh, I got to pray with them and uh, all three have had, had children. And then two months ago, uh, we were in Brazil and uh, again, just, just felt the Lord said that there was a couple who couldn't have children and just that day they'd been talking together about maybe starting the adoption process. And uh, this couple came forward and I prayed with them and I just felt the Lord said to me that they're going to have children. And I normally would never do this, but I couldn't help it. I said, um, when something happens, uh, let me know. Well, last night I got a text, they're pregnant, and, uh, um, and it's wonderful. And, um, and again, you know, God, 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 God did it. He knew, he did it. And, and uh, it's, just, it's just what they must have actually conceived pretty soon after, I would have thought. Um, so that's the story, really. And uh, isn't that encouraging? And, and remember what I said about Josiah, it's like the moment... We heard, and little, even just a little, is that possibly him? Everything went on pause because we wanted to hear him. Um, and heaven listens when we pray. Heaven is there. And uh, if we want to see how close God is to us, pray, pray. So he hears me. Secondly, he responds to me. Thirdly, and this, was, this is something that I've had to digest again and again. Um, and this is for those of us who feel like, well, God hears everybody else's prayers, but he doesn't hear mine. And when we pray, we're told that we pray in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And so, you know, we talk about the confidence of Jesus. I know the Father hears me. What we could say is, well, yeah, that's because you're Jesus. Of course the Father hears you. But actually we, when we pray, we get this privilege of coming and we pray in his name. And Jesus makes it so clear to us. So the final conversation he has before with his disciples really before he's crucified. Um, there's a long record of it in, in the kind of later chapters of John. But as part of this conversation, Jesus teaches a lot, but um, one of the things that he's talking about is he's talking about prayer. And he says three times in this conversation, when you pray, you pray in my name. And I don't know about you, but if I, if I repeat the same thing three times in the same conversation, it's because I really want to make the point. He really wants us to get this. So let me just read it to you. John 14, verse 13, he says... And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. John 15, verse 16, he says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. And then he says, John 16, verse 23, Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Now, honestly, when I, when I read verses like that, they make me uncomfortable. And one of the reasons for that is because the first question that comes to my head, and I'm sure you've got the same question, is what about all those times where I've asked him for something and I haven't received it? What about all those unanswered prayers? And I know I've got unanswered prayers in my own life. Caleb was not healed uh, in the way that we hoped. Um, I'm very aware that for some of you, you have deeply 
uh, you know, painful memories of things that you've asked God for and it hasn't come good yet. It hasn't come through. So what do we do with those? Honestly, I don't know. And there is a mystery to this that I don't begin to pretend to understand. Um, there's some stuff that, that helps me a bit. So, you know, I remember someone saying to me once, every prayer has an answer. Sometimes the answer is no. Um, for reasons we don't get, sometimes that is the answer. Sometimes the answer might be not yet. Um, keep asking, but not yet. Sometimes the answer might be, are you kidding me? Um, and, and sometimes the answer might be, well, let's, have a, let's talk about this. Every prayer has an answer. And that's helped me to an extent understand it. It, it has. Um, I still think, to be honest, it hasn't taken away all of the mystery for me with some of these things. But, but what we've got to be careful doesn't happen is that when we, when we have this thing of, well, okay, I haven't received the answer, that then what we start to do is dismiss the fact that God wants us to come to him with the requests. That he wants us to come to him with confidence. Because for all the things that maybe there's an element of mystery, you know what these verses don't mean is if I pray for a Ferrari, I'm going to get a Ferrari. But, but there's stuff so clearly told to us by God the Father that he wants us to ask him for. So one of those is daily bread. You know, it's part of the Lord's Prayer. Ask me for what you need and I'll give it to you. We can be confident when we pray that we're asking according to his will. Another one, uh, you know, asking for people to come to salvation. We're told so clearly in the Bible, God does not want anyone to perish, but he wants everyone to come to eternal life. So whenever I'm knocking on the door of heaven and I'm praying for my my brother or my sister who don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus, or I'm praying for my friend or I'm praying for my next door neighbor to come to know him, I can be totally confident that when I'm praying that, I'm praying that according to his will. And so the answer will not be no. It might be not yet. It might be keep praying, but but it won't be no because this is according to his will. When we pray for healing, there's no one who comes to Jesus and asks for healing that he turns away. Now with this, there is a mystery to it. But what we know is we're commanded to pray for healing. And so we can be at peace that whenever I'm praying for someone for healing, I'm doing as I've been told. So actually, what we don't want to allow is those times where we've offered a prayer and has been unanswered to rob us of the confidence that is rightly ours because we're his kids. And someone said, and I love it, they said, the great tragedy is not unanswered prayer. It's unoffered prayer. It's because we get to a point where we think, well, I'm not going to bother. I'm not even going to try anymore. And that's where we step away from intimacy. And we step away from the dependence uh, that he's invited us into. And it can help to understand, well, what does he mean when we say we ask in his name? What our confidence is is it's not in us, it's in him. Um, So let me finish with a little picture that I find helpful. I know I've said it before, but um, you know that Mike travels all over the world as part of his uh, um, ministry. And because of that, he gets, you know, air miles and miles status and stuff like that. So obviously he doesn't fly around first class, but he, um, he has one of those, like, gold cards. And very occasionally, I will go with him. So it happened when we just went up to Scotland recently. And because he's got these gold cards, they let him into the lounges. Um, you know, like these first-class lounges at, at Heathrow and all these other places. And uh, the lounges are very plush. I mean, they have beautiful sofas. They have free food. Sometimes he spends weeks in them. And 
I don't belong in these lounges because obviously I don't. But uh, I remember um, just, just a few weeks ago, we went to the first class BA lounge, Heathrow Airport. And uh, I walk up and uh, Mike just pulls out his card, very pleased with himself, slides it across there. Mr. Pilavachi, welcome back. Welcome home, I should say. Come on in. And he kind of wanders in and they say, who are you? And I say, I'm Andrew Croft. And they say, okay, do you belong here? And I say, no, not really. But then I say, but I am with him. And they say, you are a guest of Mr. Pilavachi? Come on in. And so I just walk on in too. And you see the name of Croft, no power in the BA First Class Lounge at Heathrow Airport. The name of Pilavachi, supreme power in the First Class Lounge at Heathrow Airport. And so I can walk in with confidence, not because of me, but because of who I'm with. Get it? And when we come to him, what we're coming is, you know what? It doesn't matter if you've had the worst day of your worst week or the best day of your best week. How he hears our prayers and whether he responds to them doesn't make any difference because it's always coming in his name. It silences heaven. It shakes the earth. It's about relationship. And we can be confident as his kids that whenever we talk to him, he cares and he listens and he wants to move.